everybody and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. Conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi Bano and I am your host. I'm an entrepreneur, a mum and I absolutely love surfing. So today's conversation is a chat with Amanda Prifty. Amanda is an amazing young woman who started surfing later on in life. In fact, she took to surfing a few years ago when she travelled to Sri Lanka for four months to write her thesis. You could say she loved the lifestyle and the country so much, she decided to co-found a non-profit in situ called Sea Sisters with her business partner, Martina Bircher. Sea Sisters is empowering girls and women by teaching them to swim and to surf. You'll find out what it's all about in the podcast. In this discussion, Amanda shares her story with surfing and with Sri Lanka and the inception of her beautiful project. Today, Amanda is making a shift with the project to make it into a social enterprise. And we actually get into the nitty gritty of what a social enterprise is and how it creates a financially sustainable alternative to the current project that has left Amanda and her business partner with a dangerously low bank account. Amanda is also a surf photographer and she shares some of her feedback in an ever evolving digital landscape. Amanda's story is proof that you can make that shift and make a difference simultaneously, and she is really busting through the surfer stereotype. So without further ado, please welcome Amanda Prifty. Hello, Amanda, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. And I guess before we start, do you think you could introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Amanda. I am from just outside Boston, Massachusetts in the US. And I am a surfer, co-founder of Sea Sisters Sri Lanka and a surf photographer. Fantastic. So I just wanted to sort of get your backstory before we talk about your business, Sea Sisters. Do you think you could tell us how you actually landed in surfing? What actually sparked the whole surfing bug? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually got into surfing quite late. When I studied abroad during my undergrad degree in Australia, I had a one day sort of lesson where I was completely horrible. Uh, Not sure I even stood up on the board, but (laughs) there was something that at the end of the day, I thought, wow, that was really fun. But unfortunately, I did it in my last week of study abroad. (laughs) So I returned to my landlocked university. And it wasn't until about six or eight years later that I had the opportunity to go surf again. (laughs) And as someone who had just surfed once, but had this hunch that it was something they would really love, it's really difficult to position yourself in a place where you could surf more frequently Mm. to see if that's actually true. (laughs) So it wasn't until I found myself in uh, Vietnam doing my master's research on environmental issues. And I had three months to write my thesis. Mm -hmm. And I decided I needed a two-week holiday before I really dove into that. And I had heard about Sri Lanka through some friends, that it was a surfing destination, warm, uh, had great curry. So (laughs) I booked a ticket and ended up spending the next three months writing my thesis in between surfing sessions. 
and completely fell in love with surfing and Sri Lanka and it changed my life. That's beautiful. That's, that's just sort of gorgeous to think of writing a thesis in somewhere as exotic as Sri Lanka. That must have felt fantastic. Yeah, it was not easy. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I mean, in terms of research and everything, had you already done your research or were you, were you just writing it out or did you have to do the sort of research online and things like that in, at the same time? Yeah, I had done my research in a community along the coastline of Vietnam mm -hmm. where I had looked at flooding and other environmental hazards and the impact that that was having on those communities. So once I arrived to Sri Lanka, it was nice to be by the coast again. Right. Because it sort of spoke to the topic and the focus of my work. But I would surf in the morning at sunrise. I would try to focus and write my thesis in the, the heat uh, <laughs> of the middle of the day, <laughs> which was difficult. And then I would surf again at sunset and oh. sort of had that on autopilot for three months and and got to the end and I was in love with surfing and I had a finished thesis. That's so it, it was pretty, pretty good outcome. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So what exactly did you study at university? So I studied international development with a focus on environmental issues in coastal areas. Cool. And what was the subject of your thesis? It was environmental hazards in Kem Kem province in Vietnam. Okay, that sounds super exciting. And so moving forward, was that time in Sri Lanka something that sparked in your mind the, the wish to create Sea Sisters or did that come later? Yeah, it definitely sort of all linked into itself. Mm -hmm. uh, so while I was in Sri Lanka and as I discovered the world of surfing, it was the first time that I also became in touch with being a woman so in Sri Lanka, there's traditional gender norms where the women are, particularly in rural areas, responsible for raising families and taking care of the households. Mm -hmm. And traveling to Sri Lanka as a foreign female who could wear what I want and go where I want and surf and, and sort of do whatever I want, there's this contrast between myself as a female and seeing the local females and what uh, their daily lives are like. And it was that sort of growing awareness that sort of sat in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, I was becoming a surfer in a very male dominated space. So being a woman who would go out into the lineup as a very inexperienced <laughs> <laughs> beginner, I was shy at times and nervous, or I would get sort of feedback given unexpectedly from men or people would drop in on me or mm. all sorts of things happen where I'm sure anyone who thinks back to their sort of journey with surfing, it's a very up and down challenging process where it builds confidence. It sort of makes you stronger in a lot of ways. So these two sort of um, things were happening at the same time and really got me in touch with what it means to be a female in such a male-dominated space that surfing and can be. Mm, that's really interesting. And so, so that's basically the foundation of, of Sea Sisters. And did you meet your co-founder, Martina Bircher, in Sri Lanka whilst you were there? Yeah. So that happened in July 2018. Mm -hmm. So after I finished my thesis, I returned to Sweden where I had been doing my degree. Wow. And I graduated and then 
went right back to Sri Lanka <laughs> with the goal of using my degree to create some positive change in the communities there and while surfing at the same time. <laughs> and that's where I met Martina, who actually had the same exact situation as I. Uh, she had just graduated from her master's in international development from a university in Austria, where she's from. And she had actually gone to Sri Lanka to do her research on surfing as a tool for women's empowerment. And she had connected with Tiffany Carathers and a group of women in Argon Bay on Sri Lanka's East Coast uh -huh. and spent a few months with them and researched surfing as this tool of empowerment as these women there were beginning to surf and sort of do something that wasn't expected of them. Right. And right. Tiffany, along with these women, were surfing and that was the foundation of the Oregon Bay Girls Surf Club. And then I got involved and Martina, Tiffany and I founded the Oregon Bay Girls Surf Club in October of 2018. <gasps> That's amazing. So it's less than a year old. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. They had been surfing with Tiffany since 2015. Mm-hmm quite on and off as there was a bit of pushback. But by 2018, sort of the stars aligned and it was a, a better time within the community to sort of, yeah, step up a notch with this sort of change. And the support that came out of that was really, really exciting, both locally and internationally. Everyone was really excited to see local women in the water surfing And Martina and I decided to keep that momentum going and bring it to the South Coast as there's a lot more surf towns on that coast, a lot of women down there, and there were no sort of opportunities yet to begin surfing. So Martina and I moved to the South Coast and founded Sea Sisters. Oh, that's fantastic. So could you explain what the goal of Sea Sisters is? Yep. So currently we are a nonprofit organization that empowers Sri Lankan girls and women uh, using surfing and swimming as tools for social change. Mm. So we provide free surf and swim lessons for Sri Lankan girls and women uh, with the goal of creating a safe space for them to get out of the house, do something a bit different and connect with the ocean. Mm. And the idea is that as women begin to do something different. It'll start to change mindsets and expectations around gender roles in Sri Lanka. So showing new possibilities and saying, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, the ocean is for everybody and surfing and swimming are these positive activities that bring all sorts of benefits to everyone. Wow. And so what age group do you focus on? This past season, we had Girls starting at eight years old up mm -hmm. to 44. Um, right. So it's okay. a big range, which is what we really pride ourselves on is that it really is for any girl and woman, regardless of your age, whether you're a mother, an aunt, a child. So we had a lot of mother-daughter pairs in uh -huh. our program and a few sisters and cousins. It was really exciting. <laughs> and so in last season, how many women did you teach to swim, for example? We had probably 15 girls and women at each lesson mm -hmm. and sort of 20 that we have in our program. 
Right, right. That's amazing. And so just to really understand the demographics in Sri Lanka, in your bio, you were saying that a lot of these women don't even know how to swim. And in the tsunami in 2004, there are a lot of mortalities linked to not knowing how to swim. Do you think you could sort of elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. So in Sri Lanka, uh, local women are hardly seen in the ocean mm-hmm. and they're not taught to swim nor are the men, actually. Mm-hmm. So swimming is not a skill that is taught as you grow up. So a lot of people grow up unable to swim and have this fear of the ocean. This is less in the men because they grow up getting to sort of be outside a bit more. They start to become fishermen, surf instructors. So they spend a lot of time in the sea and sort of learn to surf and swim to some degree. Right. But the women are more sort of in the households and don't have that same accessibility to the ocean. So we really start with swimming. Mm -hmm. And that's an important step because it provides a space for them to connect with water in a different way to practice the basics like floating, blowing bubbles, Mm -hmm. holding your breath underwater, things that for a lot of us in the US or other parts of the world We're taught from a very young age, so those become sort of second nature skills that you don't realize are hard to learn if you're sort of 20 or or 30 or 40 years old and have never, ever tried that before. So we we really focus on those basics and making sure that our girls and women feel comfortable and safe in the water and doing these activities. And then we bring those who are comfortable and ready down to the sea and start with the basics of surfing, pop-ups and learning about currents and ocean safety. And then, of course, getting in the the water on some whitewash and practicing the surfing basics. Wow. And so how long does it take for you to teach a woman or a girl how to swim? Yeah, so it ranges quite a lot. I think some younger girls feel comfortable quite quickly and pick up skills at different sort of paces where maybe some of our older participants, it takes a bit longer to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But each person is different. And that's one of the great things about it is seeing how everybody learns differently, seeing the pace and the, the sort of journey that everyone takes, and just seeing the confidence that gets built when somebody who has never been in the ocean or even a pool before joins our program and starts to sort of come alive with the the ocean and the environment and smile and have fun and just sort of this transformation that you see in these girls and women just by being together in a group of other girls and women Mm. in the environment and doing something they didn't know that they could do. Mm, mm. I bet the smiles on everybody's faces must be just priceless. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And so what brings you the most joy about this program? I think it's the amazing women that you get to spend time with from our volunteers who are surf and swim instructors to the local community that we get to interact with. So the girls and the women that, that are in our program and just the unity and excitement that gets generated by all being together Hmm. and doing this. (laughs) And what are the challenges on a daily basis of this sort of program? One of the main challenges, I'd say, is just creating something so new. Mm -hmm. 
So Martina and I spent this whole first eight months or so setting up the structure of the organization. So we did the branding, made a logo with a a great designer, Mm -hmm. and set up the legal structure, all of that sort of behind the scenes work. And then meanwhile, starting the, the actual swim and surf program. So deciding how to run that program, the structure, the format, the actual logistics of where, what time, mm-hmm. and making sure that all of that stayed in line with the cultural norms and the sort of social structures in Sri Lanka. So making sure to be respectful of the local community, making sure that we designed the program in a way where it enabled and empowered the women to join mm-hmm. and didn't actually create more barriers, which is why we keep all of our instructors as females because it creates this female-only safe space mm-hmm. where one of the barriers to women actually getting out of the homes and participating in something like this is the fear that they will be around men and then their reputation will be damaged and they won't be able to find a husband. So just understanding all of those dynamics and the cultural norms and then sort of being in line with those things. So there's a lot to consider and and a Hmm. lot going on at once. And Martina and I had to sort of navigate and learn all those things at the same time that we were doing all these (laughs) things. So it was a lot of multitasking, but (laughs) really, really exciting too. (laughs) Well, that's really interesting. Yeah, that you have to, the legal structure must be really, really important. And So did you get help from lawyers or how did you actually sort of decide on what kind of a a legal structure you would be performing these surf and and swimming lessons in? Luckily, we did connect with a lawyer in Sri Lanka who was really helpful in uh, helping us through some of these things. Mm -hmm. And uh, we hired a local translator present at our lessons and making sure that, that the language barrier was kept as minimal as possible. So we really had to rely on great connections and help from people in Sri Lanka as well. That's amazing. And you actually managed to make those connections quite easily or was that sort of historical from when you went there the first time? Yeah, it was quite natural the way it came about. And that's one of the great things about Sri Lanka is that it's very sort of word of mouth still and very accessible. So people are very open to share information and ideas and connections And so we met our lawyer through another foreign business owner that we had connected with around Sea Sisters and the same with the translator. And we continually have people reach out that they heard from us or got in touch with us through a friend of a friend. And that kind of sort of connection is still going on in Sri Lanka that that is can be one level further away over in in our busy cities like Boston or or New York. (laughs) Absolutely. And how do you fund the sort of the seasons of Sea Sisters? Yeah, so this first year was actually funded by me and Martina's savings, Mm -hmm. which have now come to (laughs) an end. (laughs) So we are fundraising. We currently have a crowdfunding page up on GoFundMe. Right. So we're fundraising and we have local fundraisers that we do in Sri Lanka a few international fundraisers, and then we're actually 
in the process of shifting towards a different model for our organization. So there's a concept of social enterprise Mm -hmm. where it merges the nonprofit and the for-profit models into almost a hybrid. So they're socially driven for-profit businesses Mm -hmm. where you have income generating activities that the main focus of the income and profit is to advance and drive forward the social mission versus just to make profit. That's really, really interesting. And how are you actually sort of negotiating this change of of structure and of positioning? This coming year, we'll be launching a line of ethically made sort of surf-related products, which we'll sell locally to start. And those products and the profit will go to funding the, the program, the Swim and Surf mm-hmm. lessons. And so we... Uh, really want to make it more sustainable where you're not relying on fundraising completely. It will still remain an aspect of our fundraising, mm-hmm. but it won't be the, the sort of sole source of finances. Yeah, because as, as we were talking about before recording the show, there's a, an amazing community of people who create nonprofits and who can only use them as a side hustle. And it's really difficult to actually find that timing and that opportunity to turn that side hustle into something that's, that's lucrative and that they can pay themselves or earn a living from. So when did that actually sort of spark in your project that you needed to change the structure? I think as Martina and I were seeing our bank accounts run very, very (laughs) low, dangerously low, we started to think, okay, this isn't going to be sustainable. And then fundraising for a lot of nonprofits becomes the focus, but also a sort of stressful process, especially for some of these smaller, sort of newer nonprofits where you don't have a lot of staff and and a big sort of team behind you. So to get to that point, it can be really challenging. Mm. So we actually both have a background in social entrepreneurship. I had studied it a bit in my undergraduate degree and Martina as well. Wow. So that became this sort of alternative model that we thought, okay, how can we shift towards that model? And I guess we'll see <laughs> in the coming year how that goes. But we have quite a exciting strategy and plan ahead of us for that. That's excellent. And do you find that this is a more on a general kind of uh, view? Do you find that the connection with the ocean has sparked a kind of awareness on the environment and on the pollution and plastic pollution and things like that? It's a completely random question, but I was just wondering whether that connection with the ocean, with your participants, if that sparks something as a kind of byproduct or of your amazing courses. Absolutely. And that's actually one of the core areas that we focus on with Sea Sisters. We have three sort of areas that we focus on, women's empowerment, ocean safety through these lessons, and then environmental awareness is our third sort of pillar. Mm -hmm. So we really believe that when you reconnect uh, local communities to the environment and ocean, it spreads awareness of the challenges facing the environment and then will foster a greater care for the environment and more sustainable practices. Mm. And in particular, with the women responsible for shopping for fruits and vegetables, where they use a lot of plastic bags and then 
also responsible for the household and, and consumption. They're the ones responsible for throwing away the trash and, and sort of disposing. And the practices for that in Sri Lanka are very unsustainable currently. Mm-hmm. So we really believe that when our women get into the environment, connect with the ocean, see the plastic all around the beaches and in the water, it's going to sort of connect the activities in the household with the output and the outcome there. And then we run an educational program where we provide canvas bags, refillable water bottles, and, and sort of educate on how we use these products to reduce the waste and plastic pollution and, and sort of connect the dots a little bit through some education and uh, resources and, and things like that. That's fabulous. So I guess it's a bit early to sort of see if there's any difference. But did you notice anything before you left, before you sort of came back to the US after your first season? Did you notice any differences? We definitely noticed differences in the girls and women as individuals and as a group and just in their confidence and their, we sort of conduct little chats with them at the end of the season to see what they thought about the program, what we can improve what they learned, all that kind of sort of evaluation, if you will. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the biggest feedback that we got was that the majority of our girls and women didn't think they would be able to surf or swim and sort of were really excited that they had done something different and new. Mm-hmm. And almost everybody said that they would go surfing every day if they could, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is something I could definitely relate to. Mm-hmm. And that they all set goals for a next season of becoming stronger swimmers and improving their surfing and really this sort of new energy around just even setting personal goals is something that's new for a lot of these women and thinking in terms of sort of personal achievements and confidence and things is all sort of new ground for them. That's lovely. So what are your goals for this season with Sea Sisters? Our main goal is to sort of undergo this transformation into a social enterprise by launching our small line of products and stocking them locally in shops and markets, and then focus on really nailing down a structure for the swim and surf lessons. So developing a swim passport where we can track the progress of each girl and woman, and then bring in the environmental component a bit more into the lessons as well. Wow, that's amazing. That's really, really cool. And so for the moment, how many people are in your team in Sri Lanka and and abroad? Currently, it's mainly Martina and myself. Mm -hmm. And then during the season when we run our lessons, which is from October through April, Mm -hmm. we have a local translator and a team of about eight swim and surf volunteers that work with us. Wow. That's it. And this coming year, we're hoping to welcome three or four interns. Oh, excellent. So that'll be exciting. <laughs> so maybe for season three, if anybody's interested, they can get in touch with you to sort of join your team and help out. Is that is that something that you're looking for? Absolutely. Season three will be welcoming volunteers as well as interns to the team between October and April. Uh, And that can all be found on our website. 
Yes. So we'll put links to your website in the show notes of this episode. So people in there with their podcasting app, they can just sort of scroll down and they can find all the details and, and click on them. So that was, that's really, really cool. And so when you say interns, Perfect. are they interns in Sri Lanka or can they be abroad sort of working freelance or things like that? How do you pick your interns? For now, we would have them in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. but we definitely could consider sort of abroad freelancers as well. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the really great things about joining Sioux Sisters as an intern would be getting to experience Sri Lanka and the, the surfing community there and then be involved and engage with this community and the women. So I think it would be a lot more fun <laughs> in Sri Lanka. Right. And actually, just sort of focusing on something that right now, which could be problematic, the political status of Sri Lanka. And and since there were bombings a few months ago, what is the climate like in terms of political climate like right now in Sri Lanka? I mean, is it safe to go? And has that sort of prevented you from from making special decisions? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, it was a really unfortunate stressful situation, of course, when that that all happened and the sort of rebound effect that that had Mm. in Sri Lanka was that overnight tourism basically came to a halt Mm. where businesses were closed, tourists left. It got really, really quiet Mm. uh, for a few weeks. And so there's this atmosphere and stress amongst the local business owners that have all invested money or taken loans or built up their businesses with the anticipation of just even more growth in tourism. And yeah, there's a bit of stress. But as I hear in this past three weeks that I've been away, things have normalized and tourists are coming back and and everything's finding a bit more of a normal flow. Mm -hmm. It will be interesting to see in the next month or two how fast things rebound or or so. Mm. But I think the the most important thing is that it does continue to pick back up and it is just as safe as anywhere else in the world (laughs) where fortunately these sort of incidents can happen almost anywhere. But Sri Lanka is really beautiful and safe and, and comfortable for the time being, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really good idea to sort of go and visit and support the businesses there too, because they deserve support from the international community more than ever, I guess. Exactly. And I think the daily life is still still normal. Everything feels normal there. It's just a quieter season in these months than it would be normally. Mm. And I think one of the great things that, that happened in the aftermath was this community support that came out where everybody was supporting each other. There was this sort of collective struggle in a way where everyone was going through this together and that that sort of energy sort of created this bond and really united everyone. And that was characteristic of Sri Lanka and the people there, but also just humanity and how people sort of come together in hard times. So that was really beautiful to see. And definitely important to just go and and continue to support this place that is safe and really lovely. So could you sort of describe what the surfing scene is like in Sri Lanka for anybody who'd like to visit? Yeah, it's warm, tropical, (laughs) and there's sea turtles in the water. uh, So you don't have to worry about any dangerous animals. (laughs) 
and a lot of different surf breaks, all levels. So you have your beginner beach breaks, and then you have your A-frames, you have reef, you have some heavier, sort of more barreling waves. And it's really great that there's waves year-round. So from maybe October through April, you have waves all along the south coast. Mm -hmm. And then it sort of shifts and you have waves up on the east coast in a town called Oregon Bay Mm -hmm. from about May through September. So actually there's this great migration that happens where businesses and everybody in the south shifts up to the east and then um, goes back down. So it's quite a nice mix of things and options for everybody around. Right. So that sounds absolutely gorgeous. And um, and obviously the tropical climate and the, the water temperature must help as well to make the, the surfing sessions even more enjoyable. Definitely. And the sunsets. And <laughs> the sunsets are really... Really, really beautiful sunsets. <laughs> All sorts of pinks and reds and you have the palm trees and sea turtles are popping up. It's really quite magical. <laughs> Definitely recommends everyone to go. (laughs) So yeah, maybe we can focus on beautiful image that you describe of Sri Lankan sunsets to talk about also your your side job as a surf photographer. And um, I just wanted to know how that actually sort of popped up in your agenda. Yeah. So my parents are actually both photographers. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a very uh, photographically focused household uh, where I was taught to look at the world and, and sort of uh, the environment in frames and angles and with different lighting and uh, sort of grew up with that photographic eye. Right. But it wasn't until this past December, about eight months ago, once I had discovered surfing and, and after the, the Oregon Bay Girls Surf Club, we had a, a month pause before we really got into Sea Sisters. And something just clicked where I was seeing surf photographers out in the water. And I just had this urge that I had to do it. Hmm. And I bought the housing to get in the water with a camera and just sort of took that leap. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first session I got in in early December, and it was as if everything aligned. And it was this sort of way to connect with surfing and the environment in such a deeper way. Mm -hmm that I was immediately hooked. (laughs) (laughs) So what kind of equipment uh, would you recommend starting with as a surf photographer? It's definitely expensive. (laughs) So that's the one barrier that I hear a lot of other people talk about, that they really want to get into it, but the water housing is really, really expensive. But I think what I recommend the most is starting off by shooting on land. So just taking photos of, of surfers and the coastline there and mm-hmm. seeing if you get this energy with it. Mm-hmm. And then the water housing is, of course, the best decision that I made. So I could never tell anyone not to do it. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. And actually, I was reading an article the other day about uh, the status of surf photography, because as we're moving from print uh, magazines where there was a real money to be made as a surf photographer to digital media. There are lots and lots of surf photographers that are popping up all over the place and it's kind of stealing the whole job of a surf photographer because the barriers of access is a lot lower to actually get in. And I just wondered what your opinion was of it, the whole sort of status. Yeah, I think that speaks to 
photography in general a bit too. Mm -hmm. I watched my parents go through that when they shifted to digital. We've had a dark room in our house growing up my whole life. And as the digital revolution came along, it really shifted everything for them and the way they did photography. And I think it's similar with the, the surf photography is with this whole shift onto Instagram and and online platforms and everybody has a camera in their hands and I'm so new to the surf photography that I'm almost navigating it in this changing mm -hmm. landscape. So it's it's a question I still haven't answered myself. <laughs> but I think what sets people sort of a bit apart is if you are in the water. So having that housing, taking photos from the water sort of creates a smaller pool of people that you're sort of working alongside. But yeah, it's an interesting sort of question and thought to see how it continues to change and shift as technology and, and platforms like Instagram and sort of the internet in general continue to shape these kinds of professions. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, is there still money to be made in these sorts of professions? Or do you have to have something else to be able to survive? I think you can make a bit of money, but it's definitely a hustle. Mm. <laughs> and I think always having a side job helps. And especially, I'm not currently sort of living off surf photography. And I think most surf photographers I know are not mm -hmm. living off surf photography. They have sort of other jobs and it's almost a side passion project or side job. And I think that will continue to be the reality for me as well. Right. And with Sea Sisters as my sort of main focus and main job, surf photography is a bit of that side, right. which is a passion and, and something I love, but do generate a little bit of income from as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And so do you prefer underwater photography or, or from the water photography or from the shore photography? Definitely from the water. Right. <laughs> it's this feeling where you're in the action, you get to be in the ocean, and it's a perspective that's really different from anything else I had experienced. Mm -hmm. And I'm currently not surfing at a level where I'm catching barrels or anything <laughs> like that, but I can be shooting in that water. Right. So it's quite fun to challenge myself by swimming out and being in the ocean during sort of conditions that I wouldn't be able to go and experience on a board. Mm. So it, yeah, it challenges me and brings me closer to being able to surf those conditions by having experienced it in a different way. Oh, that's so cool. And what's it like being a woman in surf photography today? Is there anything special or is it, are you treated like everybody else, like all the men? Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> it definitely feels like quite a, a male dominated space. I see a lot of men surf photographers. There's a few women photographers that I really look up to that are sort of setting the stage for even more women to do surf photography. But yeah, it'd be great to chat with some men and see what their experience is like, because I only have my own. And it's mm -hmm. so new, to be honest, that I can feel this energy when when you're shooting mainly men surfers, and there might be another man photographer out there, you definitely feel like the odd one out in a way. Hmm. But I think it's important to then even just be there and sort of show that it is something that women can do and trying to just, yeah, 
forge forward in that space. Right, right. So before we sort of wrap up, maybe you can remind us how we can support Sea Sisters and this beautiful project and future for-profit. Yeah, definitely. We have a GoFundMe page Mm -hmm. under gofundme.com backslash Sea Sisters as one word dash Sri dash Lanka. Mm -hmm. So that is the main way. You can also visit our website and donate through the website. And you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook to connect. Great, great. And so the handle on, on Instagram is um, C Sisters? It is C underscore sisters underscore LK. LK. Okay, that's great. Well, this will all be in the show notes of this episode as well. And I guess before we're actually getting to the end of this interview, which has been a lovely conversation, and I can't express how much I'm sort of admiring the, the stamina and the, the whole sort of flow that must be in place to actually achieve this amazing project. I just wondered if you had time to answer the questions I like to ask my guests at the end of the interviews. Would you be up to that? Absolutely. Yeah. So there are sentences that you finish. So the first sentence would be, I love. I love my dog, Ruby. Oh. <laughs> I miss. I would have to say that I miss Sri Lanka mm-hmm. and the warm water waves there. <laughs> I wish. I wish that everyone had the opportunity to bond with the ocean and their environment and really experience the joy of surfing. That's beautiful. And I want. I want to go surfing. (laughs) I guess that's always in the back of our mind as surfers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is great. (laughs) This has been a lovely interview. How do you feel? Yeah, great. I'm so happy that I could join you here and really appreciate you inviting me for this. (laughs) Well, it's been a pleasure. And I really, I wish you all the best for the next season. So when are you going back to Sri Lanka? I'll be headed back in the first week of September. Excellent. And we'll really kick things off in the first week of October. Okay. Well, so for the listeners, so there's a GoFundMe going on right now as we speak. And yes, just to look you guys up on on the internet to support these amazing women who are learning to surf and to swim. That's brilliant. Amanda, thank you ever so much for being my guest today and take care. Thank you so much. It was really fun and take care as well. All right. See you. Ciao, ciao. Well, that was a wonderful conversation. I really hope you enjoyed it. I really like the way Amanda is turning Sea Sisters into a social enterprise. And this is the perfect balance to make your passion project or side hustle work for you financially. To find out more about Sea Sisters, please skip over to their website. So it's seasisterslk.com, all in one word, or their Instagram account at C underscore sisters underscore LK or their Facebook page, just look up Sea Sisters Sri Lanka. You can also support the cause on GoFundMe and you can find links to it on Sea Sisters website and links will also be in the show notes of this episode. The Ocean Riders podcast is a passion project too and if you like it, you can support it in a number of ways. Number one, you can share your love for this podcast on iTunes by giving it a few stars or better still a review and even better, subscribe to this podcast. Anything in this direction increases my ranking and lets more people hear about my fascinating guests and how they are busting the surfing stereotype. 
Number two, you can comment and join the conversation on social media. You'll find links to my social media accounts on theoceanriderspodcast.com. And alternatively, you can connect with me directly on Instagram at The Ocean Riders Podcast, on Facebook at The Ocean Riders Podcast, or on Twitter at Imi Podcast. And number three, you can join me for an episode or even sponsor my podcast. Just send me an email to hello at theoceanriderspodcast.com and I'll take care of the rest. Thank you, Amanda, for being such a lovely guest and thank you guys for listening. Until next week, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.